advance me 250,000 pounds. So I've got to work my hardest to get to that magical number to then be able to start earning royalties from that. If I said right now I want to have a publishing deal, all of the songs I've written from the time I was 16 to now, a publisher would swallow up and would belong to them. Artists are selling their share slash their interest in the amount of rights that they have within their catalogs, for example. Coming up inside this episode, we're talking all about royalties. I'm speaking with a music lawyer by the name of Isaac, AKA a child of two worlds. We're talking about the different types of royalties, what an artist can do to earn more in their music career, and the different types of organizations to sign up for to collect the royalties on your behalf. This is an educational episode. You're gonna need a pen and paper to write down names of books and different models to go and research in your own time. Be warned, this is not for beginners. This is for an artist who's hungry to learn more. And so I cannot wait to dive into this conversation. I'm really pumped for this chat, honestly, because I have a million and one questions about the world of publishing, royalties, sync, and so much more. And there's so much in the news about companies like Hypnosis buying full catalogs. And would you register for this performing rights organization or that one, collecting internationally, domestically, and there's so much confusion about royalties. So can you start at the very, very beginning for me, please, and just break it down. What does a basic artist need to know about royalties and the way the whole system of publishing works, please. Yeah, of course. So there are generally four main types of royalties you can get from music publishing. Um, so they are mechanical royalties, performance royalties, sync royalties, and also print music royalties. So I'll break them down, I guess, one by one. So Mechanical royalties are a really interesting overhang from the past. So this is from the days when they would physically press records. Um, and so you quite literally would have a copy of a song being made. Um, you then moved into, you know, cassettes for a little while and then you had CDs. And all of it was groovy. Um, and when that music was reproduced, you know, they had to have a literal mechanical process to reproduce it. So it makes sense. But we don't have things in a mechanical way anymore. So modern mechanical royalties, they come from streaming services. Um, so that's when um, a listener will play your song or download it. Um, but if it plays over a streaming radio service, that's a different kind of that's a different kind of royalty. Um, so that's how that works from a UK perspective the royalties are processed and collected by MCPS, which is the Mechanical Copyright Protection Society. Um, and we'll probably talk about this in a little bit, but if you want to start recording or performing, it is essential pretty much immediately to save up, I think it's £100, or it might be £150, and you sign up to PRS for Music and also tick a box and say that you want to sign up for MCPS so that they can collect me uh, mechanical royalties on your behalf and it was like no nah, I, want, I want money for myself and i don't want to do that and i was like you don't want to do that because it's very administratively long just let the people do what they do best yeah. um because if you did have any kind of song that did blow up for example you would need them to collect it on your behalf and that's they have huge teams they have huge teams 
of people that literally do that job day in day out there's a big big process behind it and it it, it works to your advantage to sign up to these um processes because it's just easier for you you don't want to yeah. lose on money and money you might not sign up for in certain circumstances can end up going into like a black box of royalties where they can't identify who the song is just by things like that the next type of royalty um are performance royalties you get so um these are when royalties are played royalties are played sorry when a song is played in a public place um and so the these kind of royalties get split between you as a writer and um your publisher if you do have a publisher that is um and that's if you know something was played on the radio or it's on a bar or a restaurant um so it's important for that you know if you have a in a uk context you have a radio single or there's playing something in a in a hotel it's how people get paid a little bit from that you know um so that is quite important to to be aware of and prs helps with that so if you're not signed up to prs you can't get access to that kind of money got you okay, okay. so that's that's how that kind of works um and then you do get sync royalties which is quite a big thing for people um so sync royalties are basically uh synchronization of music so it's where music is put to visuals it, it's it could be a game or it could be an advertisement or it could be a film um it can be used in i don't know if i mentioned videos such as perhaps youtube depending on what it is um so commercial sync is, is a really interesting concept and the reason it's interesting is because <laughs> that can really be whatever a publisher may determine it to be so you might think this is just my youtube video and they might be like ah this is a sync and you need a license for it um and as a result of you paying that license fee then some of that money would go towards the artist for the use of that song for example um um the way that sync works is quite specific and so if you do want a lot of information about that, it's best to kind of look, um, do do your various searches. So um, I think CD Baby is an example of one, not so much an agency, but it's a company that collects sync royalties. And so they may have like, explanations on, on, on their website. Um, but typically people work with sync agents sometimes. Um, if you were assigned to a, a publisher, um, they also have people who handle that but if not and if you're not um, some people do deal with sync agents um, especially if they are independent and they can help them kind of place things however the one thing I do know about that is in order for you to be almost in the running for sync I think your song does need to be on a streaming service such as Spotify Apple Music um, they need to just sort of see it so um and sometimes, sometimes that might be to see the performance of the song, just hear how it sounds and press play. They don't want to kind of be like, hey, I've got the song. It's not, it sounds bad, but it doesn't look professional to do that. So there are things that people do have to do to be in the winning, and that is having it on the streaming service for them to just press play. Understood. Okay, so that's the three first types and the fourth one? Yeah. So the fourth one is something that most people don't really clock and that is print music royalties 
the reason they probably wouldn't is because um, the vast majority of people we might see in modern music now are not um, the kind of musicians I might have known growing up where they physically played instruments. Um, and, you know, like, I suspect someone, I mean, I suspect a lot of performers have made money from music royalties, which is the sheet music pretty much. Um, and by sheet music, for those that don't understand, it is the like the sequence of notation uh, and the musical notes that make up a composition of a song. So a big example would be Adele, someone like you or any of the Alicia Keys songs that you hear. Mm -hmm. There are examples of it where the sheet music quite literally um, note by note and the ornamentation around it and the instrumentation is all, that is the song, you know, you're like, you might play something and think, I don't really get it. This doesn't really sound like what I think it is. And if you play it, the, you, you download it and then you start to play it, you're like, oh, this is exactly the song. And that is, that's, that's where you get that from. Um, and so print music royalties are royalties that come from the sale of sheet music. Um, and there are very specific rules around them. I'm not entirely sure what they are, but I know that there's a specific, there's a specific world within that, um, that people just deal with sheet music. Like they have very, it has very specific rules. So people really do just deal with sheet music and it has very specific rules, partly because of it's important in like the classical world. When does it start to get lucrative? And when does an artist move from something like self-administration with PLRS? When do they transition to hiring or working with someone else to help amplify and collect more royalties from them in a more of an elevated capacity? Um, so how it works is people in, um, a performance rights organizations such as PRS or IMRO, if you're in Ireland or Sabam, if you're in Belgium, um, they will always do that. So, you know, they do that for people like Adele and Ed Sheeran. So it's like, I always say to people who like sing. If like Whitney Houston sang back up and Luther Vandross sang back up, then so can you. So if Adele and Ed Sheeran and the people get their things collected through that, then so do you. Um, don't think that you're above it because the these people have a really essential function and they do also a lot of work within the foundations that they have and a lot of teaching. So do learn from them. Um, really do learn from them and other organizations and groups. Um, in the UK, like do your research, there's the Music Managers Forum, there's lots of other groups. And the reason I mention them is because they do a lot of teaching. So if you don't understand how some things in publishing work, there are um, workshops that can teach you about these things. That's what I want to say first, because if you're confused about some of it, you can go on some of these and connect with people and network with them. And they are very, very helpful. So the point where this happens, I would argue, is probably when you start to get a good number of streams and by a good number of streams, I mean, you know, streams that start to go from, you know, the tens of thousands to a good few hundred thousand, um, or maybe into the early millions. Now, I know that can be quite difficult, but I want to point out that, yes, that is difficult, but that's important to just leave, to allow, allow these things to happen before wanting to rush into getting into deals. And the reason is... It's because if you say, if I said right now, I want to have a publishing deal, all of the songs I've written from the time I was 16 to now 
a publisher would swallow up and would belong to them. So don't think that, you know, um, it's like, I found a deal, I'm going to blow up. Like, like, you really might, and you really might, but just be mindful that the things that have been written before the date, when you, you know, when you, the time period where you sign that deal, they'll all be swallowed up under that deal. Um, So just be careful. And I'll I'll go into, um, I guess, a little bit of detail about that in a sec. So pretty much that's a common deal that a lot of people think about when they think about a publishing deal um, with a publisher, as often known as a co-publishing deal. Um, And so you will split your ownership with a publishing company. So I haven't seen these kind of agreements myself, um, but I do obviously know that they exist. Um, And so... Yes, it does cost you a portion of your rights and control over the compositions because the publisher will take control of that. Um, but with a percentage going to that publisher, um, you kind of can sometimes get some kind of incentives out of it. So um, you may have heard of how I mentioned before, you have a songwriter split for some royalties and then you have a publisher split. Uh, you know, say Thomas Rattles, for example. Um, so the publisher will own and retain half of the total revenue from songs that are created or assigned to them during the term of the agreement. And what that means, and that's what I was saying about songs that you've written belong to them. So, um, you know, you have to be mindful that that is what will happen. It's not a guaranteed route. And I know of people that have been in these deals and, you know, they couldn't release the song. They might be able to play it, but they can't release it because they don't own the song anymore. Um, okay. But it's just, it's just, it's something to be aware of. And, um, you know, make sure you do get support and legal advice from people. Um, and I would recommend if you can to kind of connect with, lawyers or even if even if they're junior lawyers in the world of intellectual property or music if you can sort of find them um and they and they're quite junior people just to connect with them if you are an artist and you started you're independent and you started to get a good amount of traction and streams um perhaps before you get attention more widely just so you know there's someone on your radar to to talk to um i think that's solid advice i think connecting with someone knowledgeable about the field of law and property and copyright is paramount before signing anything because you get guessed as an artist you think this opportunity this carrot has been dangled in front of you and you want to hit the big dream and even with things like mini advances let alone the advance in the multi-millions seeing it as a loan and not as free money just as a reward is important i think i love what you're saying here about not taking the first deal put in front of you is waiting for the right deal is what I'm kind of hearing between the lines of what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. Because, um, you know, if you're going to sign up to a deal, for example, where, you know, a publisher owns and retains, you know, 50% of, um, of that, of that half of the royalties or the revenue rather that comes in of the songs that are created or assigned to them, you know, you, people are paid advances and then they do have to, you know, um, um, back on them. 
to get to the amount that they've been, uh, so to speak, I don't want to say it loaned, but that they've been advanced. That advanced. Things sure, sure. So, you know, if you advance me, I don't know, £250,000, and so I've got to work my hardest to get to that magical number to then be able to start earning royalties from that. Um, and bearing in mind, you know, you may... Um, someone may spend a bit more money trying to promote you or doing this and doing that. Um, and it, it, it might not be that, you know, they spend more than that, but it, it might be in this day and age. People do a lot of things to try and make something work in the hope that it, you you get a payoff. You know, everyone's always looking for, as people always say, it, the next big thing, they're always looking for that and hoping that it takes off. Um, you know, so you have to be aware of that. But there are other alternatives, so... Um, there are administration deals, um, and they're often referred to commonly as like admin deals. And um, that would allow uh, some writer or an artist to retain full ownership of the composition, and you pay an admin fee, I think it's around like 10 or 15%, and you pay that to a publisher or a publisher company that handles the day-to-day -day operation of collecting the revenue from the recordings. Um, and so that it does give people more flexibility. Um, yeah, it does give people more flexibility, but you just have to bear in mind that you may have, you will have to do more of that work perhaps yourself. So that kind of, that kind of, that kind of deal could work perhaps for a bigger artist, perhaps where um, they just need people to handle the royalties. If perhaps maybe you say you were Ed Sheeran, you don't need people once your deal's expired. You wouldn't need the full suite perhaps or Drake as an example all these players they might not need a full suite of services they just actually need someone to do the the, the admin stuff okay. because they're successful enough that their brand is big enough that they don't need to see if someone can ship the song their song will come out and people will find it they will look yeah. for it they okay I hear that you know, they might want to do that so that that is an example of that um, yeah I think it's so fascinating one thing you said I wanted to circle back on you said the publisher takes almost 50% in certain occasions or 50% of the revenue you're making. And so if an artist from their net number of streams is only making a fraction and they're not finding it a livable wage, signing away half of that is sometimes a bad business move. It's actually you're putting yourself a few steps further back than progressing forward. And do you ever find that the clout of saying I'm signed to a publishing deal incentivizes some people and is actually one of the tricky steps in their career that they can sometimes regret in future years. Do you ever find that? Um, I think a lot of people... I think a lot of people look at big numbers for lots of things in entertainment industries and don't get how it works. So, you know... If, like me, you were raised in, like, I guess the X Factor American Idol generation, you saw that you got a million deal or million pound deal, people think, oh, the person's become a millionaire overnight. And maybe they haven't. <laughs> like, I can tell you that for free. Like, they really haven't. Like, their advance was probably 100, 100 to 150,000, 200,000 if they were lucky. And the rest was all in recording costs, making, and all that money that goes into the marketing, making them a star. So, you know, if you think of that's what that was like, then and that is perhaps the average of what was paid because the thing is it was often sold to people as this wonder deal that was really abnormal <laughs> and it really wasn't so um 
marketing is really powerful to people that don't understand how things work. Um, you know, it, it's it's difficult now with streaming because I have the whole, almost all, all right, the history of recorded music in my hand. I pay a £10 a month for it. And I remember when I was like 15 and I bought Khaleesi's, Khaleesi was here album and I spent the same amount of money on that. Yes. That I can listen to all of her albums for £10 a month. And I understand how streaming economically has come about, technologically, but also to combat piracy. But it's uh, it's causing a lot of problems for people. You know, there are various performers you'll see online that we'll talk about. They're, um, they're struggling. They can't pay rent. You know, they, don't, they didn't say, I can't pay my mortgage. They said, I can't pay rent. And that, that speaks volumes. People assume that they're... What I've noticed is a lot of people think because you're visible in some way that you make a lot of money and that's not necessarily oh, true. Right. There was a very delicately navigated way of answering and I respect it a lot. However, I want to come back to this really, really fascinating idea of creative control versus signing a deal. I would definitely want to circle back to that. If you're growing... And the only way to get more revenues to give away creative control, you take the decision at that juncture. Do you do it for money or do you stay true to the process and build your own team with the resources you have to keep ownership of the machine? And you hear artists like Russ, who famously turned down the 50 million pound offer for his catalog. And can you help me unpack that a little bit? Like why, why do artists agree to sell the catalog and why do they turn down the money for the catalog sometimes i'd love to get your take on that if i can yeah so artists are selling their share in um their share slash their interest um in and i mean in a legal context like the amount of rights that they have within their catalogs for example sometimes this is just really purely financial so i knew when this was happening for Tina Turner, sadly I knew it was probably because she was dying. So um, she was doing it for administration effect. You know, um, she ends up having the cash from her estate. And, you know, for her beautifully, after all the things she went through in life, she deserves every penny. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you, you going to argue with it? you got to argue with it. Um, it. It's something that people do as well so that, you know, there's no arguing in this process um, would have happened before her son passed away. So it's things that, you know, you're doing it. So there's no necessary clashes or complaints. I know people do it even as an ordinary person. You know, you might sell your home and you're doing it so that, you know, there's no debate over that house. Yes. You know where the money, you know what the money is, you know where it's going. You can split it. You know what's happening and what and whatnot. Um, artists do it for that, some of that, that similar kind of reason, depending on their life, the age they're at, sorry. Um, some other ones definitely do it more just from a financial perspective because, you know, provided that the uh, repertoire reaches certain thresholds, maybe, because the deal will be broken down and structured like that. You know, they know that they're going to get this payout, that payout, and they might look at how much they get from performance or recording, and they know that they don't get as much as that. You know, if you think about it, if you get, if you have a song that is a big hit around the world, it's billions in terms of streams, you know you could only maybe get maximum and i say maximum and by maximum i mean looking at say blinding lights as an example massive global single one of the biggest singles of all time and you know 
you you could your maximum royalties you might get from that could be maybe 15 million and i'm not saying that i'm just saying that i'm playing off the top of my head so i'm doing like rough calculations um where your maximum you know if you've got a higher a higher um per stream royalty rate than obviously most people things like that um you might look at that and you might think you know well actually i'll get everything i've earned and i tie it all up and i think actually they might pay me 250 million and i look at my career and i think well i've ever not earned that or would i likely earn that probably not i might look at what i've earned in my career and double it and then it might only take me to like 68 million so the 250 is better i understand it or you may you know you might want to be able to you might want some access to cash so that you can earn more later down the line so you might want to invest in this you might want to invest in that you know you might take 50 percent and invest it in lots of different things for the for your lifetime to see what it does do the same for your children especially in america for like their college funds and stuff also there are a lot of performers that are ill and disabled but the public don't know um so they're doing it so that they can afford to keep a little bit of cash aside for treatment but then also invest more so they can have that access to the cash as well. So for lots of reasons, you know, it, I get why people say someone shouldn't do something. And I think if you are a big, you know, you have an estate like, like Michael Jackson's estate as an example, I wouldn't have sold any of that because you know, it's such a big estate. It's going to keep making money, but people want to see realized cash. And I understand why I hear that loud and clear because cash flow in perpetuity is, is a great thing. But if you want all that hit at once for whatever your unique intrinsic reason, you want it now. And we have to recognize that that big company buying the catalog, they are certain from their calculations, they're going to make a lot more than the money they're paying out because in, in their perpetuity, it's an infinite cash flow, and you just got to make tough decisions in life. I think. Yeah, you do. And the thing is once someone has purchased that, I mean. Depends what it is, but if they're really collecting really big infinity stones, they're probably never getting back. <laughs> so, um, you know, people are just like, oh, I've got this and I've got that. I was like, <laughs> you know, um, but I remember this coming up with Elton John and um, his husband, David, was like, Elton will never do that. And, you know, and I'm pretty sure they've already had conversations where Elton will be like, when I'm not here, don't you dare sell it. Yeah, <laughs> like, thanks. don't you dare do it. Like, um, because, you know, there's people like him or Prince and they were, I understand what they were talking about, you know, especially you look at Prince and he used to talk about the internet and everybody used to think like he was just, everyone's like, oh yeah, whatever Prince, whatever. And everything he has spoken about has almost come true. Come true. Yeah. Like, you know, you talk about samples, um, people will sample the sample. Yes. The last four years is the perfect example. You know, the internet, they're going to take your money from you. Everyone's like, yeah, whatever. But the internet's really great. And the internet is really great. But what he was talking about, he knew what he was talking about, you know? He, he wasn't just saying it for no reason. You know, there wasn't no reason that, you know, him or, you know, again, like Michael Jackson, there's no reason. It wasn't that they were fighting record labels for no reason and George Michael had the same thing. They, they had a very valid reasons to why they were in the fights they were in. So, you know, I understand why people want to do it, but there's a reason. It's It's do you hold out for that and if you can. And I feel sometimes as well, it depends who you are, but some of that could be money management in the sense of have you got enough to live on? Because as well, we presume people are wealthier than sometimes they are. Yeah. Once they pay taxes, 
on this and they pay tax on that, they might not have a lot. They, they may have a, a, a nice home that they might have paid for and stuff, but they may need money, which they don't get. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. You, one, you of the, one of the smartest examples I've seen in recent times is Snoop Dogg buying back the Death Row Records catalogs and then doing stuff in the metaverse with them. And there's NFTs and there's Web3 applications of everything he and that entire label are doing, which is amazing to watch where they, you know, years ago sold the catalog and now in their prime, you, this is crazy. We're calling Snoop in his prime after decades of being around, but having the investment level to buy back the perpetuity of the catalog is inspiring to me. Yeah. There's a lot of people doing like a lot of exciting things, but the one thing I would definitely say is that, you know, Having access and ownership of things is very important. And I understand why people don't always want to do that. Um, but there's a reason people want to have that. And you have to think of why does somebody want that? And I I get why people don't think that. It doesn't matter what, what kind of asset it is, but it's like, why is someone doing that? And I would say that to younger people that I meet, I'm like, my young friend, think why somebody wants to do that. And they'd be like, oh, it's because of it. And I don't know, think why. And I was like, yeah, I don't need an answer. Just sit and think why. And the more you do that about a lot of things, you realize how something is working. Um, and it's important to do that, especially if you are working in an industry like music and you are an artist, a writer or a performer, to think, to think like this because it will help you later down the line. If you have let other people do the thinking for you and all this just handle it, they just... They do this and they do that. You know, you've got to really be having your... You have it in your phone calendar and it could be like, what, Lee Chicken with this? Yeah, let me look. What's going on with that? Hang on, why is that like that? If you're not doing that, you can very quickly end up with no money, perhaps. Yep. Or, you know, you might rush to... I, I said this to someone recently um, where they wanted me to look through like a management contract and I said I can't do that because I don't I don't deal with things like that I don't know what they look like but they had a, the the draft had a thresh uh, had a a threshold in one of the clauses about how much the uh, manager could spend on a weekly basis or a monthly basis without having to tell the artist and I said this might only be a few hundred pounds if you times that per week and you times that per year this person could take thousands of, spend thousands of money and you you have no idea. So I'm not saying, yes, you have to authorize every single expense. That could be very administratively difficult. But it's very helpful for you to know you, you have to check in with people. And yes, it, it involves trust. Um, you know, but people don't like the admin and the business side of things and it can cause problems. Like I was reading Aretha Franklin's biography and they said that, you know, she wanted to do this, wanted to do that. And they said that she was like, they were like, she did what she did amazingly. But when she tried to do what we did, oh, it was <laughs> she know what she was doing. You know, she would book this concert and book that concert. And the booking agents would be like, what? Like, you're popping. Like, you make tens of thousands per night if you're performing. And you're just wanting to do this free gig for this person here and there. But they said, we had something booked and now we have to cancel it. And it's like hell. And she'd be like, well, I made an agreement. And she'd be like, you stop doing that, you know? So um, it's important to kind of check in with the right kinds of people and know what you're doing. 
but do educate yourself around the business side of things. I think that is really important for everybody and understand how these things work. Because if you don't understand how they work, other people will understand how they work. And those people that understand how they work will always benefit versus a person who should understand but doesn't understand. I think that is the, probably the perfect place to leave this because I think my main takeaway from this conversation is educating yourself on what money there is to be made, educating yourself on what types of deals are out there so when you are presented with something you can make an informed decision and also not rushing in to accept money or an opportunity for someone until you know the financial repercussions of it. And I think that's just smart planning in general for life, I think. So thank you for sharing. It's a, it's a pleasure. I always try and say it to people. I know last thing I want to mention is go through, get them on Kindle, um, you know, the books that have come out, all every any any book that is well um well highly rated um and has come out i guess or has had a new edition since 2020 i'd recommend you to buy or 2019 if they're around streaming so like there's books like dissecting the digital dollar um that helps you understand how these royalties work then you can read that i read it again and again and again and yes some of these books do have a bit of an angle um in a political sense that is but it's helpful to you to still understand what the things mean at their core. Um, you know, the books about understanding the music industry um, by people like Donald Passman um, and Anne Harrison as well. Like, check all of them out. These people are um, well-known lawyers, well-respected lawyers, and they talk about the types of deals you'll come across, the types of people you'll need, why you need them. There's um, Donald Passman's book is brilliant because it has... Um, the US standard and then what it means for the UK. And it's important for you to break it down. I believe for you to read because you can just understand how all these things come together. But it's important for people to read. Like this information is out there now. It's not smoke and mirrors. We are on the internet. We literally have like, I don't know, the like, like, what do they call it? Like the library of Alexandria or Alexandria, like we in the internet. Like you use it to your advantage. Please don't be naive in 2023 going into 2024. Like, it, it doesn't help you and it, it can really shaft you if you're not reading. It's your business ultimately. And if you don't read about your business and understand your business, then how can you partner with people effectively so you protect your interests in the long run because everyone else is protecting theirs? Boom. That is the quote of the night, dude. <laughs> I'm, here for, I'm here for it. I'm going to steal some book recommendations for you for sure because I definitely need to upskill myself. Thank you again for sharing. Like This has been insightful for me to learn, to unlearn, and also to challenge myself. So I appreciate you greatly, King. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you.